Hello to all of our fundamentalists. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite brown babes breaking down taboos and dissecting Desi culture across the diaspora. I'm Mehek. I'm Faiza. And as always, we are super excited for our guest today. We have with us Hina Ahmed, who is uh, the VP of Clinical Operations and a physician assistant at Kind Body. Hina has over 12 years of experience in reproductive medicine and has supported patients in all aspects of fertility diagnosis, assessment, and treatment. She has a master's degree in clinical andrology and embryology. I got it right from the Jones Institute. Um, and she's a Jersey girl like both of us. She has two boys, loves reading, trying new foods, exploring new places, and she loves what she does. Um, so thank you so much, Hina. We are really, really so excited to have you as kind of a follow-up to the episode we did on egg freezing to hear from a professional who lives and breathes this stuff every single day. So thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is so exciting to be talking about this um, and having this venue. So I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Thank you. So I think just going off your bio is a great place to start. You wanted to emphasize that this is something that you love doing. So let's start there. What is it about this line of work that drew you to it, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I actually kind of just fell into, you know, the fertility world and and working with patients who suffer with infertility um, just out of nowhere. You know, I had just given birth and I was looking for a job. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I always tell this story because I talk about this like aha moment that I had at some point. But I remember it being quite a struggle because it is it is a lot of up and downs. It is a lot of it's like a roller coaster. So you have some good, you have some bad. And I remember being at it for maybe about nine, 10 months. And I was just like, I don't know if this is for me. It's so emotional. Like I get so attached to my patients and I don't know. And I still remember this to this day that I like, this is when I had that moment of just like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. Um, was when a patient walked in with their baby and was like, you know, you help me do this. Like you help me have a baby. And like, I can't thank you enough. And it just, everything just came so full circle for me at that moment where I was like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life is to help women just achieve their dream of motherhood, you know, and not just women, but like people of of all backgrounds. Um, You know, I enjoy being a mother. I love being a mother. I mean, I died for my kids. I would do anything for them. So I know how, you know, important motherhood is to people. And, and to some it's not, but to, I, I know when it is important, it's very important. And so, um, you know, I'd be, to be able to give that gift to, to other people is very, very important to me. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I think people who are in healthcare say this a lot where the emotional piece of it can be really taxing. It can be very draining because it's only natural to get invested in your patients, especially with something like this, that's not, it's not like a one-time diagnosis, you go through treatment and it's done. Some people struggle with it for five years, 10 years, you know, for however long. Um, And to see them come to terms or deal with every piece of the journey, I, I can't imagine how exhausting it is, but also exhilarating when you get to the other side and they are able to conceive or they are able to have a baby via surrogacy or whatever the other options are. So uh, that that part really, really makes sense to me. Um, so let's talk about the misconceptions that are out there. You know, as women, so many numbers are thrown at us that are like red flag numbers, right? After 35, it's like you're falling off of a cliff and like eggs are just flying everywhere and, you know, <laughs> your fertility is gone. Um, and then, you know, the numbers around miscarriage and all of that. Can you talk to us about what, which of those pieces, which of those myths are actually based in reality um, and what of it is either outdated, debunked science or just cultural nonsense that has happened to find its way into our brains? Yeah, no, and I actually love having this conversation because I get asked this all the time and Whenever I see patients in the office, um, and one of the missions of Kind Body is to really 
engage people and to educate them and give them this, this knowledge and impart this knowledge on them so they can make informed decisions. But whenever I see someone in the office, I always like to, to give them as much information as possible that is scientific and it's based on facts as, as opposed to scare tactics and fear mongering and all of that. You know, the best way to make an informed decision is to educate yourself. And that starts with just knowing your body and knowing what is that biological clock? Why do things, you know, decline for women at a certain age? And so one of the things we talk about oftentimes when we're having a consultation is that, you know, women are born with all the eggs that they're ever going to have, right? And at some point in your life in health class, bio class, something like that, you might have heard this. And But what does it even mean, right? And so what it means is, unfortunately, that when we're born with all the eggs that we've ever had, um, those eggs, as we shed them through our lifetime, that count is going to decrease. And the rate of that decrease, you know, is something where an attrition starts to occur. And I'll talk about that a little bit. It's a little different for men, which gets me so mad <laughs> because for men actually generate sperm every 36, you know, well, 90, 90 days, but every, they, they can generate sperm from, you know, beginning to end, but women, we can't. And so what happens every single month is that there in women, there's a set number of eggs that come out of storage and it starts from the moment that you're born. And from the moment you're born and it's thousands of eggs and they're just coming out of storage. I mean, we're not old enough to get periods or get pregnant or anything like that. And these eggs are just being discarded. And once we reach puberty, our brain finally develops enough that it can actually speak to the ovaries and tell it to do something with those eggs. And that's when we start ovulating. And that's when our body can then become pregnant is in puberty. But who's getting pregnant at 12, 13, 14, right? And so, you know, as time goes on and when, as we get more and more fertile and into our early twenties is really when we're the most fertile and we're releasing a good number of eggs. Those at the ovulation is occurring like it should. Um, but then after the age of 30, what really starts to happen, we know this is that scientifically the number of eggs does start to decline and fertility starts to decline. And so as you're, um, you know, in your early 30s, it's not like all of a sudden you work up, wake up and you're 30 and it's like, that's it. It's over. Like downhill from here. No, it is a gradual process. And some women are more fertile for longer than others. And it's everyone is, you know, it's not cookie cutter. But again, that science is telling us that after the age of 30 is when our egg reserve starts to decline. And if for some reason, our body at that point realizes that, hey, I still have to make it to menopause. And I've been wasting all these eggs up until these 30 years. I've been wasting all these eggs. Now I need to start conserving. And so the number of eggs that are being released every month starts to go down and down so that your body can conserve the number of eggs being released every single month. And when we get to the age of 35, that's when we see this conservation process and this decline even ha happening even more. Um, and to give you an idea of just, you know, the number of the, the process of decline, it really starts to drastically drop off after the age of 38. And after the age of 40, you, it, it becomes even more difficult because the number of eggs starts to decline. Um, one of the other things that we talk about, and when I, when I sit down and I go over things with people, is that after the age of 35, there's also a risk of more abnormal eggs because these eggs have been in your body for so long, for 35 years. And just like our hair cells and our skin cells, these eggs will age with us, just like everything every other cell in our body does. And so unfortunately, eggs are quite, are quite delicate, and so they age a little bit faster. And so at the age of 35, there's a lot of eggs that are abnormal. So about 50% of the eggs that are in the ovary are going to be abnormal. And then at the age of 38, you're going to notice about 70% of the eggs are abnormal. And then at the age of 40, about 90% of the eggs are abnormal. And that's why it's very difficult for women after 40 to become pregnant. They struggle. Often they need fertility treatments after the age of 40. And it's for this reason is more than the egg count. It's really the genetics of the egg really just starts to decline. So when I say bad eggs, that means they're genetically abnormal. They lead to either abnormal pregnancies and miscarriage, or they will fertilize but not stick because they're abnormal. And as time goes on, you know, unfortunately, we can't stop time. Um, it The eggs become more and more abnormal. So then after the age of 44, it really becomes difficult to become pregnant with your own eggs. 
um, and some, sometimes a less than 1% chance of getting pregnant with your own eggs. And so I don't think women realize that, right? And why don't we realize that? It's because we see celebrities, we see Cameron Diaz, and we see Halle Berry, and they're having pregnancies at age 47 and 46. And you're like, oh, if they can have a baby, then I should be able to have a baby. The truth and reality of it is that celebrities have access to certain things, and they have had access to egg freezing for a really long time. So they may have been freezing their own eggs. They may have been, um, you know, using a donor egg and they've had access to these things and they know about these things. You know, their agents would tell them, if you want your career to do well, freeze your eggs. You know, you won't have time for a baby. And so, you know, that's the kind of that's the thing we want to change. And, and one of the things why I love working for Kind Body, it really does um, educate women and make these fertility treatments just more accessible and egg freezing more accessible in general and um, you know, really bringing the community together to understand what female fertility is and what it means. Like, obviously, you've built a career out of this, and so you don't need my validation. <laughs> but I have never heard anybody explain it that way. Like, I that part didn't even click to me. Um, and here's where I'm going to confess to the universe how ignorant I am in this. But the the concept. Like in my head, egg freezing was just because the number of eggs is declining, right? And so you want to pull out some. I didn't even think about the aging eggs. And the way you described it makes perfect sense. It's a cell. It's going to age the way your skin does, the way your hair, like all of these things. Um, my mind is blown right now. I just wanted to say you picked the right profession because <laughs> you, know, you know how to explain this. Yeah. I mean, I... And it's, it is it is one of those things that I always feel very fortunate that I can, can teach people and I can tell them about this. You know, um, so many women come into the office and they're like, okay, I've had so many women in their 40s come in like, I'm ready, you know, I'm ready now to get pregnant. And which is great. And take a deep breath. And you're like, no, this is, this is good. I'm glad that you're here, you know, but it's also in the back of my mind thinking, Ooh, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a struggle. So I want women to know sooner and why egg freeze. Yes. Egg freezing is important, not just because to conserve the number of eggs that are there, but really honestly to conserve them when they're young and healthy and viable. If, you know, if you're going to freeze your eggs at 40 or, and, and you can have 20 eggs, but the outcomes are not going to be the same as 20 eggs at 30. You know, so that's what's really important to understand. Yeah, I just want to reiterate, I think that was such a concise and uh, approachable explanation to fertility. And like Mahek, I, I'd, I'd known about the um, decline of quality of eggs as you age. And I, I knew about like you have a certain reserve and that's about it. I didn't know that after 30, the number of eggs released goes down. And I, don't, and I didn't make the connection that that's why it gets more difficult to become pregnant not because you're old and your body's gross, but because your body's literally just like, okay, we got to stop releasing so much. Um, so as a single woman in her early 30s who's concerned about her fertility and wants, you know, in my head, I've, I've always wanted to be a mom um, with no prospects. If I were to walk into your clinic, uh, what would be like the first thing? I understand, you know, freezing eggs is, is something that I should definitely seriously consider, but like, how would you walk me through that process? And what are the things that I should be like concerned about? What are the things that I could be doing to like prepare my body for it? Um, or just like, is there anything that women who are in my position, early 30s, single, can do to help their prospects when it comes to fertility? Yes. I mean, I mean, those are all really, really, really good questions. And I want to start with your last question first, and then I'll kind of, kind of talk about what are the steps you need to take to even, you know, consider freezing your eggs or going down that path? But um, I want to really talk about what you can do. And really, the best thing you can do for yourself is being proactive because we can't stop the aging process. And I hate saying that because it seems so dismal and it seems so this, but it's kind of also a reality check for ourselves, right? We can't stop the aging process. And, you know, 50 years ago, our moms were having babies in their 20s and they had all these babies, 20, 22, 23. I don't know a, a single 22, 23 year old today that has a kid. <laughs> like, you know, most of my, and I, and I started really early, but most of my friends are having kids now. And, it, and I'm like in my late 30s. So, 
that's the important thing to understand is to be proactive and to really, you know, and I see a lot of people struggling and even, even amongst my friend circle that um, being proactive, freezing your eggs when the, you're, you're at a young age for many reasons is really important. Egg freezing is not 100%. It doesn't guarantee you a baby, but it's, an, it's almost like a little insurance plan that if you are struggling at that age to become pregnant, uh, you have some eggs that are banked that are younger that can be used for pregnancy. And you don't get that option any other way. You will not get that option unless you do it now, right? And so when someone walks in and is like, I don't know if I want to even do this. I, maybe I want to egg freeze. Maybe I don't. The first step is always doing an assessment to really figure out where you are with things, because I, I think that helps to put stuff into perspective. So an assessment would include an ultrasound to take a look at the ovaries for something called the antral follicle count. Remember I told you there's a whole bunch of eggs that are coming out of storage and as we get older, the number starts to decrease. So really looking at that count to give us an indication of where you're at. Is that egg count nice and robust? Or now are we at a place where your egg count is, is low and it's, and it's two or three and we're very concerned about how many eggs are being released by the ovary and the health of the ovary. That's one component. The second component that's really important is a test called AMH, which is anti-malarian hormone. And AMH is a hormone that's made by your eggs. So each little egg in your ovary, whether that's 10 eggs or it's 500 eggs or, or hundreds of thousands of eggs, makes a little bit of this hormone. So if you have a good number and your level is higher, you have a good number of eggs. But if you have a lower number and it's in the low range, you have a lower number of eggs. I mean, that's you know, it's a really good test. It can be done at any time in the cycle. It's not time dependent. Um, and it really gives you a little bit of an indication of what's going on with your egg count. Does it tell you how fertile you are? No, that's not really what it's used for. It's more to tell you about your egg count. Um, it's very helpful. It's a very helpful tool in counseling patients that, you know, your egg counts are starting to go down. You may want to think about fertility preservation, freezing your eggs. Um, now that, you know, you're in this position where the egg count is lower, um, we may not have the same opportunity or the same outcomes in two years and three years and four years if you delay egg freezing. So these are these are the two, I think, main things that I would start off with and say, let's do this and really have a conversation about where things are at. You could come in at 30 and everything could look perfect, right? You're like, oh, you know, good egg count, good number of follicles. And you're like, you know, well, everything looks good. Should I really freeze my eggs? I'm going to tell you yes, because the first thing I said to you was the younger you are when you freeze your eggs, the better your outcomes are going to be, right? But if you don't want to and everything looks good, the minimum, at minimum, I always tell patients, if you don't want to freeze your eggs, at minimum, you should just follow up. Like you have your pap smear every year, you should come in and have another blood test and just see where things are at. And you can see how they're trending, right? But if it's something that you're really considering, consider do it, do, doing it early versus doing it in a year or two years. Anything can change and it's really hard to predict the future. It could be great this year and then next year be different. So that's, that's the kind of advice I would give someone who's really, you know, thinking about it. You know, one of the most striking things from uh, the conversation we had with our friend Hera regarding her egg freezing journey was just the offensive cost, really. Um, it, not just the process, not just the medication, not just the medical procedure, but then that annual storage fee as well. And, yes. you know, one of the things she indicated was obviously you want to store it at a reputable place that has the proper, um, um, not just the medical protocol, but in terms of like, um, I'm thinking sanity, but that's not the word. Um, sanitary. That's sanitary, like, yes. brain dead, brain dead <laughs> I am. Um, you know, just in terms of like cleanliness, sanitary, all of that. Um, but what's, what's the socioeconomic disparity caused by this? You know, like, I, I don't think, and here again, I'm confessing my ignorance. I don't think a lot of this is covered by most average insurance plans. So very few people have the ability to invest $15,000 in their fertility. Um, is this something you guys have had to grapple with at Kind Body? 
And, you know, how do you counsel patients who don't have the means to pursue these different avenues that may be in their best interest on their fertility journey? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is something that really drew me to Kind Body. You know, when we started Kind Body two years ago, we're a startup, and it was we literally started with ten people, and I was probably the third clinical person that that was hired. And we had a, a, our founding physician, and then myself and a medical assistant, and really that's how we founded this company. And the reason I really just was drawn to the mission of this company is because. Uh, the first thing the you know this our CEO and 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 she's founded other her name is Gina Bertese and she's founded other kind of like fertility startups. So the first thing she said is she's like Hina, you and I have been doing this for a really long time, and the system is broken. You know the system is broken. It is basically you know what you're doing is you're marking up the price because you can, and nobody's there to be like this is this. This thing does not cost this much, right? And so that's what was happening for a very long time is people would just put a sticker cost on it and say, hey, if you want to do this, you've got to afford it. Uh, and I think one of the things that really touched me about our conversation, that first conversation we had was that she's, she was just like, we need to be the change. We need to effectuate the change because if it doesn't start with us, then it's always going to be like this. Like someone has to shake up the system. And so I was like, yes, 100% on board. What do I need to do? Where do I sign? Um, I don't even know like what I'm getting myself into. And I, I literally that day signed my contract with her. It was really funny. And then then I came in, I met everybody else that I was working with, but um, it was funny. But then the thing is, at Kind Body, one of the things that we have done is we've really worked with the cost. We brought the cost down as much as we can as possible. I mean, obviously, there's some overhead costs and things to actually the technical part of egg freezing. Uh, we work with directly with drug companies and pharmacies to get the best pricing on medications for patients who are self-pay. So we really go that extra mile to make sure that we're getting the most aggressive costs um, and the most aggressive discounts for our patients. We are making sure they have access to all the discount programs. We're doing whatever we can because this was truly like this has been our mission. The other thing I think that is very different sets Kind Body apart from any other place is that we actually sell employer benefits and fertility benefits direct to the employer. So let's say you work for, you know, say something, Bank of America, and you work for Bank of America and you and a group of girlfriends are like, you know what, I would love to have really good egg freezing coverage. Let me go talk to my HR. And a lot of big companies or small companies, they shy away from fertility benefits because they're expensive. But we've also brought the cost down for the employer. So they're buying directly from us. There's no middleman. There's not You're not going through Aetna and then coming to us. You're buying directly fertility benefits from us. And we've been able to bring the cost down because of that, too. And in fact, we've had a huge campaign about women talking to their employers and really being like, we want this benefit. We need this benefit. You know, you want us to work. You, you know, um, you've made this society where it's frowned upon to have children and and take time off and take maternity leave. Now, give us the ability to freeze our eggs and really advance our careers to where we want it. You know, it's like a win win. So that was one of the the main things that I think was um, really important to me in the beginning, and it continues to be important as we grow and and we continue to grow and, and reach out to more and more employers and and talk to them. And, and as much coverage as we can get through the employer, that's really what we're trying to do for women. That's so amazing because for l- listeners um, who've, who listened to the, the egg freezing episode, I had said that I was going to email my employer to see what benefits we had. Um, I put that off until our season finale when I saw that somebody had asked if I'd actually done it because we didn't ask me anything. And um the response I got was kind of, they just were like, they're like, here's our benefits website, fend for yourself. And I think because I'm so nervous about this, and this is something that really does scare me, I, it was such a turnoff that I was like, oh, forget it, I'll, I'll figure it out later. Like, I, and, and I know I shouldn't be putting it off, so I feel like this is going to be an ongoing saga that you're going to hear about throughout this this season. <laughs> um, but I like what advice would you give to I think especially as someone uh, you know who's South Asian grew up in in a kind a very um, a culture that uh, 
doesn't really encourage you to get to know your body and especially when it comes to women's fertility it's very much you don't talk about it until you get married and when you get married you get really opaque instruction or information um so for for south asian women um maybe from like, like a no agency right there's no agency because the idea it, is not that oh maybe you're gonna want kids or maybe not it's of course, like that's why you're getting married are, and of course you're right. going to have kids and of course it's going to go fine and of course you're right. going to have a baby and feed it honey in the delivery right. room. <laughs> of course. And it has right. to happen in that order. It has to happen in that order, right? So you have to get right. married first. First you got to find someone, then you have to marry them. And then it's, so yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Fiza, I didn't mean There's to interrupt like, you, but yes. No, no, no. It's really fine. So there, for me, even though I am uh, pretty, pretty liberal and like, you know, I'm a feminist and I believe in agency and all of that. I still have a lot of baggage. Right. And I was, you know, there is a lot of still this cultural pressure and and societal pressure, even from the mainstream about, about my fertility. And for someone who is pretty confident that that they want to have kids eventually, whether that happens with a partner or not. um, What, like the, I guess my question is what, what are the biggest kind of challenges or myths that you see Um, with women who are walking into your clinic, whether they're South Asian or not, um, that you think would be helpful to dispel and help empower women when they're thinking about this journey? So I think the biggest challenge from, you know, and it's not just South Asian women, because we see patients like of all backgrounds, but I feel like anyone who is, to be honest, non-white kind of struggles with this, this, um, preconceived notion that like freezing your eggs is like terrible. Like you're, if you're freezing your eggs, you're basically saying like, I'm not going to do anything to be proactive about getting married or have children. And it's kind of like, that's kind of like, you know, doesn't make sense. You're freezing your eggs because you want to have children in the future. And I think there's just a stigma that goes along with it. And I think that one of the things that we need to do as young people is really dispel that stigma. And I know, like, I've had a really good friend who I've encouraged for a very long time to freeze her eggs. And eventually she did it and she didn't tell her mom. And, you know, you don't have to. I mean, the whole process can happen kind of under the radar and no one would even know it happened. Right. And so she never told her mom. And then, you know, I think she did like a couple of cycles and we were trying to bank as many eggs as we could. And I just felt like it was taking a toll on her. And I was, and, and she's like, you know, I just wish I could tell my mom. And I'm like, well, why don't you? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, tell her what's going on. Tell her why you're doing this. Tell her the science behind it, you know. And, I, and I'll get on the phone with her if I have to get on the phone with her. I will call your mom and I will have a conversation with your mom if I have to. But, you know, I think that's the main thing. It's like we have to be like this, hey, this isn't what you think it is. And just being very open and candid about the conversation with anyone. And I say that even I say that to my African, African-American patients. I say that to my, you know, Arab patients like any. And I think that that's what it is. It's just it's a culture, cultural thing that it's taboo and we don't no one wants to talk about it. But we, we need to be the one breaking those barriers. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think a lot of it is um, just backwards ignorance. And I'm only speaking from for the South Asian culture at this point. But I, I think a lot of it is just these backwards patriarchal notions that are conditioned to us. But I think like we were saying before, a lot of it is also just the people of our parents' generation, grandparents' generation, they didn't know what they didn't know. And so in some cases, it's not their fault that they had these ideas. This is all that was presented to them. They didn't have the luxury of, you know, Googling or doing the research and trying to figure out the science. But I really do think um, once you present them with the facts around it, like who can argue with the science? You know what I mean? Um, And only when this conversation is normalized, is the cultural stigma going to fall away? Um, And the fact that there even is still, like, it's not something that you control, you know what I mean? It's not like when you were born, you said, okay, God, turn off the fertility for a little bit, (laughs) you know, maybe we'll pick it up when I'm 35, 40. It's not something you can control. So the fact that you're shamed for it or meant to feel like you have to hide it is just another heartbreaking piece of uh, the conversation that we need to change. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, so one of the other things also, I think that 
everyone could, should kind of have an idea too. But you could do this under the radar. Like you really could. And no one would really know. I mean, it's a very quick procedure. You take medications for, you know, so seven to 10 days, you take some injections um, and then you go in for an egg retrieval and it could pretty, I mean, you do need someone to drive you home from your egg retrieval usually, but there are people that do it and they don't tell anyone. And it's a very personal thing. And it, that I think is any, from any background, you know, it's a very personal thing and they don't, not everyone wants to share it, which is also okay. You don't have to share it. It can be something you do for yourself to empower yourself, to know that you have banked some eggs that you can use in the future and they're there if you need them like that. That's and it can be as quiet as that. Or it could also be like, hey, I'd love to have mom support. Let me talk to her. Or I'd love to have, you know, so and so support. So let me talk to them. And it could be either one of those things, you know. Um, and I think that's that's also another thing to kind of to realize. Always great to have support. But then it's also OK if you don't want to be vocal about it and don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's a really, really personal choice of how you want to go about it. But with that being said, I don't think that anything should stop you from doing it. I mean, if you really want to do it, you should do it for yourself and not for any, or think about what anyone's going to say or anything like that. It is something very personal that you should just do for yourself. So since this is now just my own personal consultation, this episode, um, cause I already, and I'm looking through your website and it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> what would you, um, what are the side effects of the fertility treatments? Um, what should people be aware of uh, when they're going into this and, and take note of? So I think there's, there is a lot of misconceptions around what to expect when you are going through a fertility cycle. You have to realize the stuff you read on Google. And I always tell this to patients. I'm like, you're going to go on Google. You're going to read this. You're going to read that. But those are the people that are upset about something that's going on. If you had like a, a no issue you're not going to go and write about a no issue on, on Google, right? Who's going to waste their time doing that? I mean, people want to want the attention, so they're going to write all this stuff. So anyways, that's the first thing, as you should know, is that a lot of the stuff that you read online is not accurate, and it does not happen to everyone. Um, it's a very straightforward process of taking hormonal injections. It usually, in most circumstances, will start around the time of your period, and you will take those injections for about seven to 10 days. It is up to three injections sometimes a day that you're taking. And you take those injections, um, you come in for blood monitoring and ultrasound monitoring to see how your ovaries are doing. Are they responding to the medication? Are you over responding? Are you under responding? And we as on the provider side of things, on the physician side of things, have become really good at um, knowing signs that things are going too quickly or going too slowly, and we can adjust your medications as you're going through the process. Some women do have an over-response, you know, and an over-response isn't always a bad thing, but sometimes it's not a good thing because the over-response can sometimes create an environment that's uncomfortable. You get a little bloated. Most women will not have this issue. You might feel a little bloated and you're like, your pants are a little tight, you know, um, you feel a little heaviness in your pelvis. But other than that, during the process, you may not feel much more. Most women, I would say like 95% of women. But there are some women that actually it feels a little bit uncomfortable, you know, um, they'll still go about their normal day, but they're just a little bit achy and, and everything. And then you have your egg retrieval. And for the egg retrieval, you are put under anesthesia. So, you know, it's an uncomfortable procedure without anesthesia. So I never would recommend anyone doing it without. But um, you go under anesthesia and we take out the eggs. And then afterwards, most people are going to feel completely fine. You're going to go back to normal, go about your normal day. There'll be some things you'll avoid, um, you know, for sometimes for 24 hours, some things for a week will tell you to avoid certain things um, and just take it easy uh, after the egg retrieval. But then by the time you're done with your egg retrieval, you're going to get another period within two weeks and you're going to feel pretty much back to yourself. You're going to bounce back and be like, oh, and then your eggs are banked and you forget about it, you know? And so that's one of the things that I think that people should realize is that is really for most women how it goes. And then there is a very small subset of women that after the egg retrieval, because they've created a lot of eggs, and it's usually women who create a lot of eggs, um, there is a lot of fluid production that happens from the empty cyst where the egg is taken out. And that fluid produ production can sometimes accumulate and cause more discomfort. Um, but we do have medications and things that reduce the risk of that. And so again, being very cognizant of the fact that there may be an issue 
leading up to that point where you may start feeling comfortable, we start these medications soon. We'll make sure that we are changing, you know, things are fluid so we can change things as you're in a medication regimen to make sure you're not becoming uncomfortable afterwards. So I think things have, we've, there's been a lot of things in the last five years that we've really studied and have changed that make the process a lot, a lot easier. And this is why 95% of women are like, not, not bad. This is fine. You know, Liza, I just want to say to you, A, if you don't do this now, and B, if you don't do it at Kind Body, like, the internet is going to come for you. I After this, oh my God, after I this love episode for consultation, <laughs> you don't get it, get it right. Oh my goodness. No, I would love for you to come and see us. And I would I would love to personally be your your personal PA throughout the whole thing. <laughs> you, you know, made me so comfortable. So this is my 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 story is it, what um I had a uh, an ovarian cyst. Well, they they said it was endometriosis, but then the surgeon was like, uh, no, it wasn't. You don't have any other lesions around your pelvic region. You're fine. It was just like a chocolate sits. But the whole process was so demoralizing and it made me realize just how how much you have to advocate for yourself in the healthcare system. And especially as a woman of color, and I can't even speak to the, the experience of African-American women who have like the highest mortality rate when it comes to like giving birth and all of that. I was so turned off and so upset by the whole thing that I was kind of like, I, I just, I don't even want to deal with it, which is why I think I'm, I, I, I feel... I hate saying the word triggered, but I feel almost a little bit triggered when I was thinking about like whether or not I should freeze my eggs. And you have made me feel so comfortable. Oh, and the, oh I'm so glad. I, and honestly, I feel like so often when most of my visits for the gyno feel rushed, I feel like my questions aren't fully answered when I do ask them. Um, and it just feels like there isn't a lot of support when it comes to women's repro health. Uh, I yeah. mean, and forget about infertility. Um, and I, I definitely want to talk about that with you at some point, but, um, I, I think just having somebody who like you in the room who can guide you through this makes a huge difference. And it makes some me feel like this is something that's accessible and approachable and doable, which I feel like a lot of people feel like it's not. The presence of that cultural EQ makes a world of a difference. I think we talked about this on the Hera episode as well, just even a routine gynecological uh, exam or appointment, right? As a woman of color, a Pakistani Muslim, if you're seeing like a white OBGYN who doesn't understand why at 32, you're just now getting on birth control, you're made to feel like this alien, you know, person that's like doing everything wrong. And it's, I think demoralizing is the part, it's embarrassing, humiliating, and like very demoralizing. And I, you know, we joke about how in a South Asian household, like the only three options for you are doctor, lawyer, engineer, but even in the medical space, I'm so proud to see people like you going into these areas where not a lot of South Asian women are. And the presence of you makes such a difference, not only for fellow South Asian women, but for any person of color, because it's just, there's a different level of camaraderie. There's a different level of comfort. There's a different level of understanding. And for this process, that's so highly sensitive, personal, uncomfortable, it really makes a world of a difference. So really hats off to you for the, um, not just the work you do, not just like the medical aspect of it, but just that um, the the EQ aspect of it, like the, the support, the emotional support that you bring to your patients. I, I'm sure that's um, life-changing for them. Yeah. And it, it is honestly the favorite part of my job. The best part of my job is to be able to- I thought you were going to say, yeah, it is life-changing for them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> No, no, no. Um, I no. It's more life changing for me than it is for them. I'm sure because I every time it's it's just 
you you really and it's always in every single time I speak to someone it's the same thing again it's like wow I never knew about this and it, it breaks my heart because I'm like why why don't women know about this and we need to know about this and that's why and I, we always joke about this at Kind Buddy and, and and Fahima who's the founding physician and I are like we need to shout this from the rooftops like this is something that women need to know and and it's not to scare people it's just to be like this is how it is and you know that gives you options. If you know about something at 25, your options are totally different than if you know about something at 45. So why not just shout it from the rooftops, you know? It's just such a, like Mahek said, such an intimate, personal, sensitive thing. And then you have on top, you layer, and it maybe it's because of patriarchy and the lack of agency women have had or, um, around their bodies for so long, but there's just such an unwillingness to talk about it because it's supposed to be this very natural thing that your body does. And if it doesn't, then there's something wrong with you, right? You're not woman enough if you can't do this thing. Um, and talking about it, it becomes such a, such like a an issue, right? Um, and there's so few people who are willing to speak about it, but we're seeing a lot more of not just celebrities with like Meghan Markle and Chrissy Teigen talking very openly about their miscarriages, but I think a lot of just women willing to talk about infertility in general and how important it is to be armed with this information so early on. But it's it's definitely like, a, um, I think a, just a mainstream thing because once it like, I saw this stat like, uh, like last year about how, 30% of women didn't realize that their their vagina and their urethra are two different holes. And it's something so yeah. basic about their own bodies that they don't yeah. know. They don't know. So like yeah. an adult woman, one out of three of your friends don't realize that. Don't know. And that's a yeah. huge number. And it's really scary that we don't even know this much about their bodies. And, and I think oh, having these kinds of conversations, opening it up across the spectrum is going to be very, very helpful and may, let people know they're not alone and like ask those uncomfortable, weird questions like I am on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think talking about it and the more you talk about it, you'll realize there's a lot of people in the same boat. Like there's a lot of people that are out there that also are experiencing whatever it is. It could be anything, but they're also experiencing it. And I think that's so important to just recognize and realize that you're not alone. Um, and we're often and culturally made to feel alone, you know, and like you said, not you're not able to talk to anyone. You're not able to get support. And, you know, these are sensitive topics. And that's that's definitely one of the things that makes it difficult, um, whether culturally, culturally or not, it's just hard to talk about them too. Cause you don't want, like you said, you don't want to feel less than you don't want someone to think that you're less than. And so now having that conversation with someone is maybe going to change their perspective of you. I think that, you know, that I think is the, is the hard part too, but you have to realize once you do open up it, you'll be surprised how many people are going through and struggling through the same thing. And then before we close out the episode with your final pieces of advice and wisdom and uh, schooling for FISA especially, um, can you share with us your favorite feel-good story? My favorite? Which is something we don't do story. often on this podcast. Yeah, so no, I love that question. Oh, I got to think about this one a little bit because there's so many. There's so many. Um, I think one of my favorite feel good, good um, stories was that I had this one patient, she was in her uh, late 40s, and um, she was South Asian. And so, you know, we had, of course, we I always bond with my Desi sisters. <laughs> and I always am like, you know, I took a whole nother layer of like, you know, um, basically, uh, of comfort and love. And so I, you know, it was very close to her. And then, and um, she started, so she was struggling with fertility for a long time. And one of the issues with her was that uh, she had been married before, um, her husband had the fertility issues. And so they were together for a long time, went through a lot of fertility treatments, wasn't successful because he had the issue. And we talked a lot about how, and I'm bringing this up more in this forum because it really, she did talk a lot about how the blame was on her, even though the issue was with her husband. And which was, I, you know, it was like, 
felt so terrible. And she had gone through this whole course of like, you know, um, issues with her in-laws because of it. And they ended up getting divorced. And then so she had met someone else and the sweetest, nicest person, nicest guy. Um, and I would meet with them often together. And I was just like, oh, my God, really, really, really just rooting for them and rooting for them. And so she went through an IVF cycle. And, you know, I'm just like walking her through the whole thing. And I knew she wasn't going to do that well. She just knew she was going to be a poor responder. And she didn't do well in the first cycle. And she was kind of like, you know, I don't think I can do this again. It's so much. And I was like, no, let's let's try one more time, right? One more time. So we go through it again. And we changed our medicine. And we went through it again. Nothing happened. And then um, the, she goes, so now she's like, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So I was like, she's like, I can't afford it. I can't afford the medicine. I was like, oh, we're going to make it work. I've got samples. I did all this stuff. I got all this, you know, together. I was like, no, we're going to do this one more time, one last time. And then you can tell me you, you're not going to do it again. Right. And this was like a woman that I didn't even know. She came in as my patient and I'm like built this really strong relationship with her. And then, so she goes through, we got one egg and we got one egg. And she's like, you know, after all of that, and we have one egg. And I literally told her, I'm like, well, this is the little one egg that could, and it's going to do it. And don't worry. And so you know, we created an embryo, the embryo did well, it was actually a decent embryo it wasn't anything. I wasn't impressed by the embryo, to be honest, I thought, okay, well, we got this far, at least we got this far, we put the embryo back. And then, you know, weeks go by, and she's like, this is not gonna work, Hina. like, what do I do next? We're talking about donor eggs, we're talking about all this other stuff. And she's pregnant. And she was just like, blown away. I, I was blown away. Honestly, I was like, Oh, my goodness, I can't believe this actually worked, because we actually started talking about something else blown away. And she, it was so cute because, you know, she stayed with me for a little bit. We made sure everything was okay with the pregnancy. And then she kind of, you go off to your OB and the OB delivers you. And then she sends me when, after the baby's born, she sends me a little engine that could book. And inside she's like, thank you for my little engine that could. And I was just like, oh my God, I literally, literally wanted to cry. And I still have that book and I keep that as a reminder of why I do what I do, because it really just takes faith and it just takes, you know, um, someone being in your corner and advocating for you and you advocating for yourself for it to happen. Oh, Mag, you're crying. <laughs> okay. Another first for this, not only did we get a feel good story, but we got the best goddamn feel good story. That's literally making me cry. That's a beautiful story. And like, God, you must be flying. But that made me and that made me really like tear up a little bit too because it's such a wonderful um, story and I feel like such a good reason to to start this start this journey for yourself because you never know what could happen and there are right. other options too right and you should just know what those are. Um, Mahek, do you want to talk about your lesson learned? Oh my god, my lesson learned is Hina's the most amazing person. Oh I'm my god, stop. So no, glad no. we did this with you. I really am. And you know, I, I'm not trying to be cliche or anything, but I I really am so grateful that there are people like you who do this kind of work because it's a really, like you said, it's a really alienating journey. Um, on the path to motherhood and after motherhood and nobody can support a woman the way a woman supports a woman um, so good yeah. for you good yeah. for you uh, my no, other lesson I learned is it still tweaks me out every time I look at my daughter and I hear like that stat in my head that girl babies are born with all the eggs they'll ever have in their life it like tweaks 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 me out I know I know I know um but I have to say that I think if any any you know anyone gets a reward out of this it's really me like I feel like I feel so fulfilled by doing the work that I do um and it's because you know people put their faith in me and 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 put the faith in us as medical professionals and we really owe it to to the people going through i mean it's, this is really about them right more than anything else it's about them and and the process that they're going through so if i can have any part in helping in that is really just you know the most rewarding thing and I, that i feel yeah and you know having gone through my own kind of struggles too i feel like 
reflective on that as well is that, you know, like you said, no one understands women like women understand women. And that is, that is the truth, you know, um, you, and I, I love male OBGYNs and I've gone to male OBGYNs. I have really good friends who are male OBGYNs, but there is that different layer of comfort when you're with, you know, a, a female and you're a female yourself is a layer, a different layer of comfort that I, I can totally understand. Think Fiza, for- if your lesson learned isn't that <laughs> you're getting your damn eggs frozen, I'm canceling oh this God. episode. My lesson learned is that I need to make an appointment ASAP with you. Um, and uh, if you're listening and thinking about your fertility, even if you're not sure whether or not you want to become a mom, just I think it's it, obviously, like you said, it doesn't hurt to just know what your options are. Yeah. Um, and know where you're at because it might just trigger something in you, whether you think you want to be a mom and you do this and then you're like, no, never mind, I don't, uh, or vice versa. Um, so my, my lesson learned, I think, really, truly is one, I need to stop being scared about this because the longer I wait, the worse it's going to get for me, just like my anxiety and and uh, who knows what, how, what my reproductive system will look like um, by then. And two, that there are, as disillusioned as I am by the healthcare system, that there are still very good practitioners out there and people and practitioners with empathy and who care and are willing to listen and walk you through. Um, so anyone who's been struggling with finding the right, um, whether it's OB gyno or just like a fertility clinic, like there are places out there, you just have to be diligent and you have to advocate for yourself and, and don't let the system beat you down. Um, and that's that's my lesson learned for sure. But thank you so much, Hina. This was so enlightening. Um, this was really in, just so enlightening, so informative. Um, and I really impre- appreciate your candor and your ability to just like break down these concepts in such a palatable way um, that doesn't feel daunting or overwhelming at all. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you both for having me. And any knowledge I can impart on anyone about this journey, um, I'm more than happy to do. So, you know, the pleasure was all mine, for sure. Well, thank you. And we'll link to Kind Body, definitely. Um, But if you want to plug your own socials where people can come to you for consultations as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I would one thing I would say to anyone who even is thinking about fertility treatments or egg freezing or even just wants the knowledge, the basic first step is to create a fertility assessment um, and to have a fertility assessment like we were talking about that having the AFC ultrasound and an AMH uh, just to see where you are, where you are. You don't have to do anything with that information. You can just get that information, digest it and, and not do anything. Or you can take that information and feel empowered to do something for yourself in your future. So I um, would implore people to definitely, whether it's at Kind Body or anywhere else, to definitely to do that. Um, and uh, I would love to see you at Kind Body. I believe in Kind Body, and I could talk all day. Mehek follows me on Instagram, so she knows I can. I can literally talk about Kind Body all day long. It literally, is my baby. So um, that's all the plug I'd want to give for that. <laughs> okay, but, but me first. Yes, absolutely. Yes, 100%. I told you, I'm your personal PA now, so that's it. (laughs) Thank you. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, New episodes drop every other Wednesday. You can check us out on Instagram, at The Femdementalist, for our latest episodes, behind the scenes, and more goodies. And listen, like, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Catch you next time.